Hello, and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. This is episode number three, and I am Julia Wirth, your host, registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. I'm so excited um, that you all made it back for this episode. Um, I just want to start by saying happy National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. It's called NIDA. Um, I'm so excited. Today is February 25th, the first day, and uh, this marks one year since I publicly in person, like not publicly on the internet, first time publicly speaking about um, my eating disorder. And that was a year ago with Lane 9 at their Summit to Soul um, sharing your story event. And that was awesome. And a huge reason that I am sharing uh, my story and so many others uh, stories with you. So I just want to say happy Nita week. Enjoy the week. Share the love. And the theme this year is come as you are. So more than ever, you know, wake up, show up, and be you. Don't don't try to be someone else. Um, really acknowledge that this week and, and empower others to do the same. This past weekend, I had my first uh, Worth Your While Nutrition event at the Woodbridge Running Company, and it was awesome. I'm so thankful to them um, for how it went and for their accommodating natures. It was so much fun. We got to run, eat some snacks. I refound my love for Nutella, so that's always good. (laughs) And um, I hope everyone who came learned something. And I hope all of you can come to a future event. Before we do get started, I just want to say this episode deserves um, a little, a little pre-warning. Uh, not only do I have a cold, so you're going to hear me sniffling, but I actually had to record it twice. And I am so beyond thankful to Will, uh, who is known as Hopeful Dad and C or Dad versus Eating Disorder on Facebook, uh, not Facebook, <laughs> on Twitter, uh, for, actually redoing the entire interview on Monday night when I recorded originally. I did a little editing, saved it, thought everything was fine, and then my computer kind of like freaked out, Um, but I already saved it. So I was like, okay, we're good. It's fine. I went to bed. I like reassured Dylan, my boyfriend, that uh, yeah, yeah, I saved it. Everything's good. But then uh, I think it was Tuesday. I got home from the gym and I was like going to treat myself to an hour of podcast episode editing because it's so much fun. And I opened up the file and and there was nothing. Uh, just like a blank wave line. Uh, oh my God. Panic. So upset. I tried uh with my very limited computer skills to recover the file. Dylan tried with his much, you know, more comprehensive computer skills <laughs> to recover the file. And and we recovered my intro. Um, so me like rambling about nothing really important, but nothing that Will said. And Will uh, was amazing. He had said so much about his, um, you know, experience as a father of a daughter with an eating disorder as someone very active in the eating disorder recovery community on um, social media and someone with so much insight into, you know, how hard it can be to be a caregiver 
So I, I couldn't just like let that episode not ever come out. Um, so we did it again because he is amazing. He called again Friday and, um, it wasn't the same episode, you know, that we had recorded, but it was great. And I'm so excited for you all to hear it. So be patient. It, the audio quality is not great. He lives in North Carolina and I am, you know, as you know, in Connecticut. So it was my first time recording over the phone. And uh, let's just say I have a lot to learn. It's very quiet. So turn up the speakers, uh, listen carefully. And just if you have any tips, advice on recording phone calls, let me know because um, I need it in the future. <laughs> so before before I do, you know, introduce you to Will, I just want to say um, he is a father of a now 13-year-old girl who uh, has suffered and is now in recovery over two months without any ED behaviors. And uh, that may seem young, 13. We normally think about like later teens or early 20s as like the eating disorder period, like in college, late high school. Um, but actually, she started having ed behaviors at 11. And that is not that uncommon. There's sort of like these two waves uh, of when eating disorders can occur in younger um, women or girls. And the first is like right around puberty starting because that's a lot of scary changes in your body. Um, you're suddenly starting to become a woman and not a girl anymore or a man and not a boy anymore. And you don't know what to do. You can get stressed, panic, and, and sort of want to like stop um, that from happening. So so that's, you know, the age that she is at. So it's a different, different time frame, different look at uh, eating disorders. So with no further ado, please, you know, turn that volume up and start listening to Will, uh, Dad versus Eating Disorder. So yeah, so I just wanted to start with uh, how did you get involved in the eating disorder recovery community? So um, how I got involved with that was my daughter actually has an eating disorder. She was um, diagnosed um, with anorexia with um, binge purge in March or excuse me April of 2018 so at that point as we were kind of headed into treatment and starting that process I, I started a, uh, an anonymous Twitter account um, that was just to, um, to kind of document what would be going on as we went in through uh, residential and partial hospitalization and outpatient and just just to track everything and then from there it just kind of turned into not just something that I was using to track but um, learning about you know the recovery ED, ED recovery um, Twitter community and eventually just kind of moving also into trying to be an advocate um, as well so that it really started and centered around my daughter um, it's still centered around that, um, but again, I, I do find myself um, talking more about my experience as a parent and a caregiver um, to try to help other parents and, and caregivers. Right. That's uh, definitely something we don't hear a lot from. Um, we often hear the story of the person in recovery and not always 
the person who's taking care of them or helping. Right. And and I do think that it's important for caregivers and um, and advocates to be out there for those folks, because I'm not sure. I think it, it I, obviously it, it can be helpful for people who are struggling with an eating disorder to communicate and, and talk to other people that are are doing the same. I think, though, you can kind of get into a feedback loop. Um, oh, definitely. Where, yeah, whereas I think with, you know, if, if you can be an advocate and if people can turn to you from that standpoint, it kind of helps. Um, and then from there, I found where that's helped me or, or I've been able to just kind of offer advice or, you know, and, and by advice, I just mean uh, safe behaviors, um, kind, you know, make sure that if you don't have a therapist, get a therapist. If you need a doctor, visit a doctor, um, that kind of thing. I don't, I, I don't offer any, obviously, clinical right. advice, but I, I do think it's important to tell the, the, um, the people out there, and it's mostly younger people that I, that I talk to, um, to, to reach out to the people around them that can give them help. Um, unfortunately, there seems to be a lot of people in situations where they don't have that help. So again, it's, it's just trying to be there for people. Yeah. So could you step back uh, a little bit and just tell us, like, I know for a lot of parents, they totally miss their child, like having any issues. Uh, and how did you right. first notice it and, and start to get help for your daughter? So it, it started in the summer of um, late summer 2017. Um, my daughter would have been uh, 11 at that time. Really and, young. Uh, it, it started well, and then it started with actually we. I noticed the cutting. Right. Um, it, it was the cutting and self harm that that became very prominent, and then um, as we moved into therapy for that, um, she was. Um, diagnosed with um, social anxiety disorder so we were really focused on that and then it was kind of later in the fall um, and then around Christmas of um, 2017 when the eating disorder became very clear um, she was purging she was um, she was binging um, she, I would find food that had been chewed up and spit back out into um, plastic bags and and wrappers so that's when it, it started to become clear. What I didn't really understand at the time was I thought maybe that the eating disorder was um, was a symptom of the social anxiety disorder. Right. And then as we got treatment for the social anxiety disorder, the eating disorder would would go away. Um, what you know, what obviously we learned is that's not true. Is it, is that while they are probably tied to it, each other that you know a lot of people with eating disorders also have other anxiety disorders or depression definitely that yeah that when you solve one you don't necessarily solve the other one yeah so, and sometimes um, the other one gets worse actually right right so we we had been on we saw uh, got in with our psychiatrist in january um, of 2018 um, by this time she was 12 um and that's when she was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder. She was put on a progressive dose of um, Prozac to help manage the um, anxiety disorder. But and then we kind of realized that we needed to um, seek 
some advice on the uh, on the eating disorder because um, we pretty much you know, by by January we it was full blown eating disorder and it became very clear to me. Um, it was one night in early to mid January where she had eaten dinner and she was trying really hard not to purge. Had you um, talked to her about purging at this point? We, as much as I could, I, it was kind of one of those things where I was still learning. So it was like, hey, could you, could you please quit? Could you please quit purging? Yeah. And, you know, and that, that doesn't work. And, and then, you know, you would get the, the anger and the, the eye rolls and the, well, you just don't understand. And I, and I truly didn't until that one night when literally we're sitting in the living room floor and she's crying and begging me to let her go purge. Oh. Um, it was then that I really realized how how deeply rooted that was in, inside of her. And we'd had conversations after that where it's like there's just this urge to get everything out. Yeah. So, um, so then we made the appointment um, with Veritas Collaborative here in Charlotte um, to visit with the doctors. But, you know, we had to wait a, a couple months to get in. So in that Meantime is when I kind of went into um, full-blown mode where it's like I, I need to learn about this disease. I need to talk to people um, about this disease and figure out what I need to do. One of the best things that happened to me was um, somebody recommended the book Eating, um, Eating with Your Anorexics right. um, by Laura Collins. And so I read this book, and I used it really as a handbook on refeeding my daughter and trying to, to keep her healthy. And then also the great thing about Laura Collins is that through her um, feast network that she's a part of, it's a Facebook group and an overall group. Um, she also gives you the opportunity if you can donate a little bit through her organization, she will spend time with you on the phone uh, an hour so wonderful. to talk through. So I had an opportunity to talk with her in January, um, and then I did talk to her a second time in, um, I want to say it was right well, right after we went into, or my daughter went into inpatient. And um, when did she go into in inpatient? Medicine. Yeah, she went into inpatient. We um, were, she was diagnosed uh, with the, um, anorexia, with binge purge in, in the first week of April. Um, and by April 20th, we had um, we were in Durham, North Carolina, at the um, Veritas Collaborative Clinic there um, for her to start her inpatient treatment. So she entered inpatient on April 20th, um, and she did inpatient for two weeks. Um, she did partial hospitalization um, for a month. So that required me to be in Raleigh um, and Durham at the same, you know, because it's, it's family-based treatment. And that's right. one thing we didn't talk about when we were talking earlier in the week. Um, Veritas Collaborative is, is family-based treatment. So I was there the whole time. Yeah. During her PhD, there several times a week to do, you know, classes and DBT therapy and, and, the, and meals. And then um, we were released in, on June 1st. And then we came back to Charlotte, and we're in, uh, excuse me, outpatient. She did outpatient weekly until September, 
and then we went month we um, went bi month or bi weekly um, September and October, and then by December we were um, released. <coughs> and currently she's um, she's seeing a really great therapist with an ED background. That's and awesome. Right she's kind of our, she's our barometer on where we are um, with the disorder. I will say right now my daughter is in I would say in a pretty deep into her recovery um we've been behavior free for over two months that's amazing Um, i do urge checks you know a couple times a week i'll ask her where her urges are and she has sincerely told her that her urges have been at zero um wow which i'm still trying to catch up with that yeah (laughs) it's such a big transition you know two or three you know they had been down to two or three so we're, we're down to zero, and I haven't seen any um, any behaviors, and I'm, I'm pretty good. As good as she got at, at hiding them and trying to get around it, I got just as good at ferreting them out, and I don't – I believe that she is in recovery and wants to be in recovery. That's awesome. So, and and that's, a, that's a good place for her to be. You mentioned that she had anorexia binge purge. And I know right. most people think of anorexia simply as a restriction and not, and bulimia as the only one, um, you know, where there's purging involved. Can you talk a little bit about um, how, what anorexia binge purge is? Yeah, I mean, and that was news to me also because yeah. not, even, in, even in the research that I was doing before the diagnosis, I hadn't come across that. But, I mean, it's exactly that. She... She would restrict. She would plan to restrict, but if she had the opportunity to binge, she would definitely binge. Um, while we were going through therapy, um, and when she, when she would open up about, I mean, she told me stories about when she would purge, and I just couldn't believe that I had missed yeah. as much as I had missed. Um, I mean, when she told me the stories, my blood would just run cold because I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know that this was happening in our home but that is the nature of the disease is that it's not it's destructive but it's also very very deceptive and very deceiving really good at hiding incredibly good at hiding and um and it hates to be hates to have the light shown on it right so then when you do expose it um especially before uh, before treatment and and before you get that you just the anger and the hurt and the nastiness that that disease can spit back out at you is um, is amazing. Yeah, um, absolutely amazing. It is really a vile disease that um, it just it tries to talk these these kids um, into killing themselves, and that's what it does. Yeah, it pretends pretends to be a friend, and it is the opposite. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting that you said you know you didn't notice you know things that were going on and you were so shocked when she would tell you stories because you're like how is this happening in my house I mean it's amazing to me that you noticed at all because um many parents that I know um including my own like do not notice until you straight up tell them everything uh just because the disease is so good at hiding well fortunately I mean uh she, there were just enough clues around, and sometimes she would be, I think, the initial getting away with it was easy enough, but then if she knew that I was keeping watch on the toilet, yeah, um, 
you know, for any telltale signs there, then she would just find a bag or find something. The problem is, you know, we live in an apartment and yeah. it's not just easy for her to come and go out of the apartment. I, I would notice, you know, we don't have a backyard, so I, I noticed when she would leave the apartment. So she couldn't necessarily get rid of the evidence as easily as maybe someone um, someone else could who, who had a big enough home that they could, you know, sneak out the back door. Right. Um, so it, it was just a matter of she was really limited in her options. She got away with a lot of it, but um, but I, I tried to stay on top of it. Yeah. So you said um, you didn't know about anorexia binge purge before. Are there other things you wish you knew before um, this started? Um, I wish I knew... I wish I knew the, the nature of the disease and that how I would need to react to it. Um, and... and react in a way that I could take emotion out of it and, and not maybe maybe them putting it the wrong way that I wouldn't get so visibly frustrated or angry. Yeah. Um, I think I wish I had a better understanding of what the disease was doing to her um, before I kind of, because at first it's just like anybody, anybody else who doesn't understand the disease, it's, well, why don't you just, can't you just eat this? Can't yeah. you just eat this meal? And you don't realize that, no, it's just not that easy. And I think the the best example I have of that, and, and it's not even about my daughter, although, you know, I think one of the worst fights we ever had or one of the worst breakdowns we ever had was over a cup of pudding, literally a cup of pudding yeah. for a snack at night turned into a three-hour just awful it was awful for both of us, but um, the other thing I don't—I didn't realize that the fear. I just thought it was like I don't want to eat. I didn't realize how much fear was involved in in the food. And then there was um, the first weekend that we were at the Veritas Collaborative in Durham. Um, the first snack that we went. So when you're there as a family, everybody eats at the same time, and you go to dinner together and go to snack together so we were in the evening snack um we were at evening snack and everybody you know a lot of the the girls there were no boys in this particular inpatient um you know couldn't had to have their their place fixed for them you know they couldn't make their own snack right um my most my most vivid memory about that whole that evening and that weekend was um, across from across the table from us was a young girl, probably right around my daughter's age, um, and and she was severely underweight. Very very beautiful girl, severely underweight. And in front of her, she had a bowl of yogurt and you know some crackers, and you know she had a, a pretty pretty big snack in front of her. And the look on her face, it was like she was getting ready to be pushed out of a of an airplane yeah. without a parachute. I will never forget the fear that was on that young lady's face. And that's when it really sinks in what this disease is about. And and understanding that you can't possibly, you can't yell at somebody that's scared like that because that only makes it worse. So um, I, I'd like to think that I learned to kind of let this, let it wash over me and try to stay calm in the face of, of the storm because 
just going back at it wasn't working either. Yeah. And do you have any strategies for doing that or, or things that have worked well for you and um, your daughter? What's helped, what's helped for me is when she was, um, when the behaviors were really bad and we would have, I would just, I would, I would call them meltdowns because we would have they are. occasional, you know, meltdowns where it was just, and what I learned to do was separate her from the disease. Um, I would never talk to her in a way, I would always talk to her in a way that was very understanding and, and, but also very matter of fact, like I'm not, I understand you want to do this. I understand you had this urge. I understand you had this anger. I know what you want me to let you do. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand firm. Now, then I would address the ED separately, and I would I would address it directly. And I said, I, I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work, and you need to let her go for the night. And you need to just let her get – you need to let her get over this and go to sleep. And, um, and I would talk, and, and I would get the reactions that way. I mean, sometimes – she would it would get angry and it would lash out yeah and when i would especially point out um when i would point out what the disease was doing to other people um it, it got it was even more anger because i think that that kind of shook everything up so um it's just being able to separate your your kid from the disease and i yeah. think it's important for the, the patients. I think it's important for anybody with an eating disorder to to use the methods, you know, uh, to try to separate yourself from the disease. You are not, and you are. You might be anorexic, but you're not anorexia. Yeah. You're not the eating disorder. And if you can try to separate the facts from the feelings, then you know you might be able to create just enough of a window to get through a day or get through a weekend or get through a week. I mean, I think you have to build towards that. We, we would have good half days and then we could have good days and then yeah. we might have a good half a week. Sometimes and even a good hour is an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah sometimes it can be that. And it, it's just building on those victories and not getting mired down in any, any of the backwards, you know, any, any setbacks, you just have to, you can't, I remember, again, originally when, after we had gotten out of um, residence and PHP, I was terrified of going back, you know, I was terrified yeah. that we're going to have to go back into, oh, we're going to have to go back to PHP and we'll have to go back to residential and, and what that would mean, not just what that would mean to her, but what it could mean for me professionally and personally. Yeah, it's a huge um, hit to family. Trying to, yeah, trying to handle this all by myself with, with a young daughter and try to maintain a career and, and some semblance of a life. Um, but, it, but again, that's the fear that I had. So then I had to learn how to separate the facts from the feelings. One bad day didn't mean that I was going to have to take her back to inpatient, right? Um, one, one, one missed meal didn't mean that we had to fail um, because she might then complete every meal for the next three or four days right so it's just it's just living in the moment kind of and taking each taking everything bit by bit because you can't possibly try to to take it all in one shot because it's 
it's just too big. It's yeah. just way too big. I think it's interesting that you also, um, you know, separate Ed and, and call him Ed um, yeah. because that has been such a tool for me and for many others that I know just to have this this other thing that you can kind of blame and be mad at and it's not all internal or or at the person who's suffering right and if you can and if you can do that what i found is that originally you know first ed was this big monster and i was this dad that didn't know have any clue about how to protect my daughter from this big monster to the point now where um you know, I, I obviously have a healthy respect for what Ed can do, but I also know that um, that he's beatable and that um, that recovery is stronger than the truth of recovery is a lot stronger than the lies that Ed tells. Right. And my daughter really believes that. The other night, um, she had referred to her eating disorder as her old life. And that she was having a new life, and her new life was better than she thought it ever could be. That's so great so to hear. If that's not uh, if if that's not giving um, Ed the finger, I don't know. What yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I know when we spoke on Monday, you mentioned that like in in recovery, you learn a lot, and um, you come out with a toolbox that can help you throughout the rest of yeah. your life. Can you talk about some of the tools that your daughter has come out with? I think the tools that, that she's acquired are um, is that she is able to separate facts and feelings most of the time, or at least at this point, you know, the, the facts versus the feelings around her anxiety and her eating disorder. I mean, there's a certain amount, you know, 13-year-old girl is going to be a 13-year-old girl. Oh, so definitely, there's, yeah. There's going <laughs> to be a lot of emotion there, but she is able to kind of, separate herself from um, from the bad behaviors. So I, I think her ability to recognize that, I think just in general, she's got a strength from fighting this that um, that I don't, you know, not a lot of 13-year-olds just aren't going to have. Uh, just a general will to push through things. Um, you know, I, I remember her last day at THT and we were having our final snack and everybody kind of got soft and I told all those kids there that you know this very well could be the hardest fight in their lives and if they beat that then there's nothing ahead of them that should give them any trouble because they were able to shake this disease um, so I think she's built up self-confidence I think she just has general strategies that they teach the, the DBT which the full name for that is escaping me right now but just being able to be in the moment think through what's going on um and try to get past whatever negative feelings that she's having and and i find that those apply i mean there's still some anxiety and she still um can get really stressed out about say what she's going to wear to school uh, or, or that's a tough different. decision <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I think with her, a lot of the anxiety is around she doesn't want to stand out. Yeah. So it's what can I do to make sure that I'm just normal? Yeah. <laughs> and so again, it's but you know again that a lot of the, how much of that is is what she's been through versus just being 13. So I think 
we're trying she's trying to learn how to be a kid again in a yeah. and and i'm trying to let her be a kid um so we're just we're trying to figure that out and it's really interesting you bring up like she is a child she's only 12 right um, right. Well, no, she's thirteen. No, she's thirteen. Thirteen and we now. About that the other day, and and I say, you know, there's just sometimes we we were talking about she was wanting to take some voice lessons and some do do some other things, and I was like, yeah, of course you can do that because you're only thirteen and you're not yeah. even in high school yet. Yeah. And in my mind, you've already been through. You know, I'm 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 ready for you to go out and look for a job because I know. <laughs> spent the last twelve months literally together just about every day fighting this disease together yeah um, you know me in the support role her on the front lines every day and it, it you know we she crammed about seven or eight years of growing up into 12 months wow and that's why i want her to be a kid i want her to be a child i mean her therapist um, we actually kind of had to change – we changed therapist after we got back to Charlotte because the therapist that we had before she went in and went through all this still kind of talked to her like she was a child. Yeah. Which in some ways that she is, but – But she's been she through a war. To, yeah. She needed someone that could relate to her on more of a mature level and let her just be her and let her – um, be very honest without feeling like she um, was obligated to anybody else. And, yeah. and that's the other thing that I told her and have been uh, really trying to impress upon her um, in the last couple of months uh, is that she doesn't owe anybody anything. Yeah. And her life is hers. Her recovery is hers. I only... I don't take credit for any of her recovery. I was there to help. I was there to get help get her through it. That recovery was all her, and and it still is all her. And she can own that, and she doesn't owe anybody any apologies for it, and she doesn't owe anybody anything else. And I want her to just live her life. If she goes through the rest of her life and she never talks about this experience and she never shares it, I don't believe that the, the people that have been through this and recovered owe it to anybody to do that if they want to. And she's actually talked about wanting to share her story at some point. I think that's great, but I don't think she's obligated to. Definitely and not. I feel, I feel as a caregiver who has been through this and who understands how little, um, how little parents know and how especially hard it can be on dads. To try yeah. to understand what this disease is, I do feel obligated to try to share these things because it, it's confusing and it's hurtful. And when you see your daughter um, suffering from something and you can't immediately just protect her, yeah, that, that's a scary thing. It, it, it's incredibly scary, and it's in you know it makes you feel just just tiny and like you failed as a as a dad because yeah. you can't protect your daughter. I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think so many times we think of like moms as the parental figure and and the nurturing and um moms, you know, we're girls so maybe they understand, but but dad's yeah. also a huge part um sometimes even more in in the taking care of and yeah, I mean I just just like the I'm sorry, but just like the kids are all different 
that you deal with that has to deal with this, like no, no kid is the same, every kid is different. What I found going through treatment and, and even now on Twitter is every family is different. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it is the dad that is the, the primary. Sometimes it's the mom. Sometimes you're lucky enough to have a family that can do it together. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, and I think what breaks my heart the most is some of these um, – some of these the the um, kids that reach out to me on on ED recovery Twitter, and you know almost to a, a person, the first thing they'll say is, "I wish I had a parent in my life that could do what you've done for your daughter." Yeah, and that's heart. First of all, that's heartbreaking, and I always kind of respond with, "Thank you very much," um, and then I try to to express to them that there are people around them um, that that can help and that education is important and that and I always just tell them that they need to take care of themselves that if they need to reach out for a second just to just to hear something you know that I'm there but but there are people around and there are people that can help um, and and I think and going forward, one of the things that, that's important to me is that there are more resources. That I don't think that there's enough education. Oh, definitely uh, educational not. opportunities in schools, um, and the, and not just for kids, but for the the people, uh, for teachers and coaches and um, and administrators. I think there needs to be more of an outreach there. There needs to be more being able to identify where there might be a problem or, or feel a safe space for the kid. Um, I think there's just not a lot of education in general um, in, in overall society. I mean, you still, there's still people that make jokes about it. There's still, even in, you know, mainstream media and sitcoms or whatever, there's still, it can still be a joke. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, and I remember during that, you know, I remember a time in my life when I would, oh, yeah, I mean, that's a joke. But it's, you know, obviously when you face it, it's different. And now I like, well, you wouldn't make fun of a kid with leukemia. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure why it's okay to make fun of of, um, of kids with, with ED. But I, I think what that stems from is. Um, th- I think there's still a perception that, that ED is a rich white girl disease. Yeah. And it's a di- and it's not even a disease. It's just a choice or attention. Mm-hmm. And again, there's just so many people that don't understand that it's not a it's not a white rich girl disease. It it strikes every race. It strikes um, you know any age. It can be from you know under under ten to people well into their adults can have um, eating disorders, adults with eating disorders. And it's also very rampant in the um, LGBTQ community. In fact, it's almost disproportionately rampant in those communities. Yes. And and I think as we go, go forward with that, we also have to understand, you know, those are kids that we have to look out for and take care of too, that it's not just our daughters, it's not, you know. And again, most people don't realize that boys, you know, boys get these diseases and boys can have this and um it's scary how few i think of all of the cases that are diagnosed in young men um i think less than it's a very low percentage of those boys who end up getting any kind of treatment at all yeah Um, some 
and that changes, but it used to be what was a symptom of ED would be that you lose your period. Well, a boy never had a period. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have that to lose. Like, yeah, you couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't be diagnosed with an eating disorder. So um, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of education in general, and, and that includes doctors, and that includes oh, yeah. um, psychiatrists, uh, therapists. Um, I, I relayed to you when we talked the other day that, you know, that same summer that, you know, the self-harm started, we, you know, we had had a checkup for school, and the male doctor or pediatrician that she had was very, had a very ham-handed way of talking about her weight and how she should be eating. And at this point, if I could go back in time and had that discussion again, I think I would probably have absolutely, I, I would have said a lot of really nasty things. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't say things like that anyway. I think you always kind of have to be really delicate how you talk about that. But it was very clear he had no indication that maybe a child could have this. So, um, yeah, that actually he's not his not his fault. But I, I think doctors need to be a lot more cognizant of, oh, of yeah. the possibilities. That brings up something. Uh, a listener asked me a question earlier this week, and she is going into medical school, and she was saying. You know, we get so much education in um, how to talk to people with drug addiction and, uh, like, depression, but n we have maybe, like, one mention of, like, how to speak to someone with an eating disorder. And right. to think that they go through four years of education plus a residency, you know, after college, and it's only, like, sometimes mentioned is shocking. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at the numbers, that, that what's shocking is if you look at the numbers, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's one in 200 um, people have um, could be diagnosed with an eating disorder. Um, and then of the, of the folks that are diagnosed, it's a 20% mortality rate. Yeah. Um, Number one mental illness. Yeah. 20% mortality rate, whereas, you know, and, uh, you know, a percentage of those people die because of because of the disease what it's done to their body what it you know it's it's ruined their heart it's ruined their liver it's it, but then the suicide rate is also very alarming among um, people with ed so the fact that it still doesn't get the attention that i think it deserves um is pretty it's it's disappointing yeah um, and again it, it makes me want to you know, if my daughter's safe and we don't have any relapses and she goes forward, that's great. I, I don't. I want to. I want to save as many kids as I can as long as I am able to. Yeah. And if I my can, goal too. <laughs> if I can turn one or two, one or two people around, then, you know, then I think that's important and it's I think huge. that's worth doing. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you turned to Twitter and social media and you found, you know, great allies um, in the ED community or recovery community. But I know yeah. on Monday when we talked, you said that there's a lot of people out there um, who kind of cause the opposite effect for children. And it's called pro Anna. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And that's um, again, when I discovered that and I started doing my research on it, um, it, it, is, it made me physically angry the more I read about it. 
and then the more I look into it myself, you you just ha- you have primarily it's it's a lot of message boards or social media accounts that um that are pro anorexia that give advice on how to successfully be anorexic on how to how to plan for a um a restriction or how to binge or how to binge and purge how to purge silently that was one of the that was one of the skills my daughter learned how to purge without making a sound yeah and, and which is you know if i had stomach flu i don't it's like i don't know how you could possibly be quiet yeah doing this but but that's those are the things that they teach and it's bad enough that they teach those things but then you find out that a lot of these message boards and a lot of these accounts are run by men and there are uh, there's this subset of men who want to hurt women and who want to hurt girls and encourage them to to have to follow through with this eating disorder now none of these things can give you an eating disorder you can't look at a pro anocyte and get an eating disorder right you either are, you are either predisposed genetically and environmentally to have one or you do not you can't catch it and you can't give it to somebody else but thank goodness it, it, but again, the numbers are out there enough that you know, there you know you can, if you get enough views, you you've got some people hooked, and and it's triggering and, for people who have yeah, had them. It's got to be. So I I think those are insidious. I've um I, at some point when I have the time, I'd like to start. There's a couple letter writing campaigns that I would I'd like to start for. Um, to some representatives in Congress, uh, mostly to figure out a way to get rid of these pro-ana. Yeah. I don't think that that – I'm a very strong proponent of free speech. I think if your free speech is encouraging people to kill themselves, um, that that crosses a line. Certainly. Um, and then I also believe um, that there should be disclaimers or something on all the diet, all the diet and exercise commercials that come on. Because again, that's that's something you know. Not everybody needs to see a commercial that hey, the, where the first thing they say is hey, lose fifty pounds real fast. Yeah. And and I've you know, and my we've gotten to the point where you know my daughter can kind of get through those. But again, it's you know, it's the encouragement. Oh my gosh, you can lose all this weight. Well, someone who weighs a hundred and ten pounds doesn't need to lose 30 pounds yeah and, but they don't know that because the disease thinks that you know the disease will tell them oh wow 30 pounds that'd be great yeah um so there's those so but getting just back to the internet and that so the pro anocytes i would like to say that instagram has gotten very good <laughs> about they they pretty much swept out all the pro ana um that's awesome it's, it's very hard yeah very hard to get to one um, obviously, Twitter still has an issue, but there's a very strong ED recovery Twitter, and also that's that's pretty good about marking sensitive content. Um, I think Tumblr is still a sewer. Um, oh yeah. For, for Atlanta, um, I, which I do not. I have a strict monitor on my my daughter's phone, so um, Tumblr. There's no Tumblr. There's no. Um, she doesn't have access to Twitter. Um, I've got her browser locked down um, for most things. So, um, and even you've got to keep an eye out um, if your child has a phone. 
the camera because again i would you know find out that she takes you know these kids take pictures of themselves to assess their body and again that's just not healthy yeah we look at ourselves a whole lot more than is normal yeah yeah (laughs) so there's all these things out there that um, unintentionally can encourage the behavior and you just have to be able to help monitor that and restrict that until you can build that trust back up and until the behaviors are safe. Right. So if you could give like one piece of advice to parents out there, uh, what would it be? Um, get to a, get to a reputable, um, therapist or doctor with a background in ED as soon as you can. Don't wait. Don't try to wait it out. Don't try to think that it's going to pass you by. Don't think that if you, you know, if you just put out enough food that it's going to go away. Oh, yeah. Parents need to be able to reach out to um, to a good doctor or a good clinic. Um, on the East Coast, I know that, you know, Veritas is um, – very prominent on the east coast or starting to be i know renfro center um there's one in charlotte i think they're up and down the east coast there's one in dc and new york as well yeah so i i just think as a parent you wouldn't as a parent you're not gonna let your kid go through this alone you can't go through this alone too you need to have a team you need to have a doctor you need to have a nutritionist um you need to have a therapist and again it breaks to not to get political, but the the healthcare situation in this country. You know, some of the other kids that I that I talk to on Twitter, it's hard for them to get the help that they need because of lack of insurance. Yeah, and we have to be able to do something about that. There yeah, has to be some way to get these kids help because again, we're we're just. I, until people realize what, and, and I, I don't know if the word epidemic is right, but I think when I tell people what the numbers are and I run through them, they always, it's astounding to them. Yeah. How, how much this has gone on that they didn't know about. And I think the more people that can get, can wake up to that, um, the more help we can get. So my primary advice is just to get help. I think my secondary advice is to go easy on yourself and don't blame yourself it's not your fault that your kid has this you didn't cause it um you didn't make it happen and you can't blame yourself for it you just have to once you know that you're there it's just a matter of of putting a flag on the ground and saying okay this is where we start and however long this takes this is where we're gonna go right then you're just there for your kid and there's going to be bad days. They're not going to want to get treatment at first. You know, they're not going to want um, to go into residence if that's what happens. They're not going to want to do that. My daughter didn't want to do that. She begged me to take her home um, when I was coming home after the first weekend. And I said, the only way that you'll come home is if you do the work. If you do the work that they put in front of you and you, and you do what they say, and not just to follow rules, but to, to go through and to really listen and to and to fill out the worksheets and to participate in therapy, participate in group therapy, um, interact with the other kids when you're in the um, 
recreational. Get involved and do the work, and she did it. And so she did a four-weekend residence program in two weeks. We did eight weeks of PHP in four weeks. So it's it's possible. I, I can't say that every kid's going to go through that because I know that there were kids that were at Veritas. They were there before we got there, and they were still there after we left. But there is a road to recovery. Recovery is real, and it is possible um, but you have to work for every second of it. It's just not going to come on its own. Definitely. So I know uh, we have to wrap up, but we've talked a lot about how food is, is fearful and scary, um, but I like to remind everyone that like food should be our friend <laughs> and it's our fuel, yeah. um, and we need to learn how to love it again. So uh, could you tell us what your favorite food is and what your daughter's favorite food is? Um, my favorite food, and I'm going to switch it up from when we talked earlier. Okay. <laughs> uh, favorite, favorite food, really, if I had to, because I would, if I had just cooking for myself, uh, just a, a, a ribeye steak. Uh, you know, if I can cook a ribeye steak, I'm oh, real happy. It's that. delicious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my daughter's favorite food, um, it, it's still, I think, macaroni and cheese is still up there, but she's also a big fan of chicken and dumplings. Oh, both good. Yes. Both good. Well, thank you, Will. Oh, really? That's awesome. Before we go, if, it, if it's okay, I'd oh, like yeah. if I could um, just plug my Twitter. Yes, I was just going to ask um, you anything to plug. Sure. It, it's um, at HopefulDadNC, all one thing, HopefulDadNC. Yeah, and I think the name is Dad versus Eating Disorder, right? Yeah. 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 That, that awesome. So, yeah, definitely give uh, Will a follow online um and thank you so much will this was a lot of fun the second time <laughs> great and again thank you for doing this i i um have been hopeful to get um opportunities to to speak on podcasts so this is my first one i i look i i would love to do it again i think there might be an occasion sometime down the road where my daughter would probably be um, happy to participate, but I kind of want to wait for that. But yeah. I'm grateful for the folks like you that are out there advocating, especially knowing, <coughs> excuse me, that, um, that you've recovered yourself. So I, I think it, what you're doing is fantastic. And we just need to get more people out there to, um, to advocate for all the folks that are fighting this horrible disease. Yeah. Well, together, maybe we can, we can do it. Yep. Thank you. Have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening to Will, listening to his story. Um, you know, maybe sending his daughter some some good recovery vibes. If you enjoyed this, please, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Um, leave a rating, review, tell your friends and family if each of you just shared it with like one other person, we'd be doing really well. Um I want to get the word out even more and, you know, get up on those charts so more and more people can hear the message about eating disorders, start to learn, and maybe we can get better methods of recovery for people out there like Will's daughter um, who really need it. So again, if you have any questions, please send me an email, worth, W-E-R-T-H, nutrition at gmail.com. Um the beginning of next show I'm gonna start you know reading guest questions and comments that I've gotten so please send them in 
and uh, check out my website and blog, worthyourwhile.com. I'm on Twitter, J Bowell, B O E L, Worth, uh, and on Instagram at JB Worth. So check those out. Give me a follow. Um, in terms of other upcoming events, I will be at the Tallinn's Public Library in Connecticut this Saturday, March 2nd at 2 p.m. for a children-focused event, um, so parents and children, all about expanding your palate and learning to love food from a young age. Um, so if you're in Connecticut, please come March 2nd, 2 p.m. at the Tallinn Library or March 9th, 1 p.m. at the Glastonbury Library. So those are the, my next two events, and I'd love to have some listeners um, and their kids maybe there. And have a wonderful National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Come as you are.